You know, the more that I kept preparing myself for the show, I thought to myself, this is actually a lot more action-packed than I could have ever imagined. And some people might be wondering why that is. This is a turning point night for TNA, honestly, because they had so many things going on during this time. A lot of storylines were coming up. A lot of storylines were either being finished or they were beginning. There was a lot of talk about everything that took place on this show. Uh, it's Slimeversary. It's the four-year anniversary. So, honestly, you have to have some kind of impact, no pun intended, with this kind of show. So, that's what I'm going to be doing here. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Brace for Impact. I am the impact player of Russell Attic Radio, Nate the F and Great. I'm going to try to combine as much as I can in this episode. I am going to give the matches their due. So it's some of the highs, the lows, some of the highlights, and then also talk about a lot of the stuff that took place during this time because there is a lot of game-changing deals, especially on screen, that you will see really affect the future of TNA going forward. So we have, like I said, Slammiversary, 2006 which took place on june 18th 2006 in orlando florida at the impact zone 900 day attendance 35,000 buy rate for this show and honestly it is one of the higher ones numbers for this show uh not quite the highest there is another show that is going to just be the highest show buy rate of the year, which we'll get into a few months. It's actually going to happen after Bound for Glory. But a lot of things to talk about, you guys. Uh, honestly, I'm starting with the pre-show because here's where we get a lot of more exhibition and a lot more storyline kind of bringing in. So on an episode of Impact, Shane Douglas, who was an interviewer, he went up to the Naturals and said that he knew that these guys were great. He knew that these guys had potential. The problem is that they have lost their way, and he believes that he could set the Naturals back on their way. So this was kind of the first match in which we see Shane Douglas kind of seeing what they do, and they took on Team Canada's Eric Young and A1. And for the most part, the Naturals seemed like they had a really good amount of momentum in this match. They actually hit their finishing move, but in the end, though, Eric Young actually hits an elbow drop to, I believe it was Chase Stevens, and Team Canada got the victory, and I just remember seeing Shane Douglas's face, him literally being like, are you freaking kidding me? And he went from being kind of this melancholy kind of deal to an absolutely intense coach who literally is saying, you know, I cannot believe that this just happened. You guys literally are a huge great team and you went out and you lose like that so he says that he's going to put everybody through he's going to put you know the two of them through a grueling punishing exercise i remember this line so well because i thought it was done so well by shane douglas he literally says that if these exercises do not kill you and you come out here and you do that kind of performance again i will personally kill you myself it was one of those things where it's like, that is passion. That is, I mean, he wants to see the Naturals succeed. And 
that is kind of the story for the Naturals going forward is that they have Shane Douglas as their coach, their mentor. And they are literally, they're actually showing these training deals in which the Naturals are literally just going absolutely balls to the walls, absolutely hard. And they literally have moments where they even, even throw up because of this training. So that's one of the things where I'm like, wow, this is definitely a changing turning point for this deal here. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the opening package because there was actually a DVD that came out a bit prior that actually does everything justice in which Mike Tanay and Don West are literally sitting down and they're discussing all the combatants in the King of the Mountain. And I think that that's a better deal because they talk about the accomplishments of uh, Abyss, Ron Killings, Stings, Jeff Jarrett, and Christian Cage. I think that that does that a lot better. Um, but the Slammiversary hype package definitely mentions the fact, you know, like four years, a lot of people didn't give them six weeks to survive, but four years later, they are still going strong, basically. And I like the fact that they highlight, like I said, the pat the uh, strengths and weaknesses of the two of all the combatants. Uh, and the major thing that's really highlighted here is that there's going to be the third King of the Mountain matchup, and every single time a person has entered in, the champion has not walked in and walked out as champion. So that's kind of the main feature going into this deal and Christian believes that he has an advantage to do that because he has strengths with you know uh, all the tables and all of the ladder match experiences that he has so yeah it works in his favor for Jeff Jarrett um, he literally is feeling confident because he was the first one to win King of the Mountain when it first came around he wasn't around for the second one I mentioned that in the Slammiversary show uh, review last at the uh, last one so he was never involved in the second one that was won by Raven uh, so there's a little bit of just this animosity between everybody where they want to be the champion uh, Sting is in this matchup because he wants to accomplish two things if need be he will win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship but he is mainly there to ensure that Jeff Jarrett does not become NWA World Heavyweight Champion again. He believes that Jeff Jarrett is a cancer to TNA, and he wants to eradicate that. So that's kind of the main storyline kind of going into the King of the Mountain matchup here as the main event. So we get the pyro, we're getting the excitement, all the pomp and circumstances, and as we're getting that, we are shown the tunnelway, and Team 3D and the James Gang are literally fighting each other in there. They were fighting on the pre-show. Now they're fighting in the entryway. They do not waste any time. We get the bingo hall brawl between the two of them. Right then, right there. And they just go absolutely insane at each other. Uh, Ray and Kip, they fight each other with chairs. They're kind of like uh, two knights fighting each other with swords but with chairs. Uh, but then the James Gang was able to get an advantage because of that. The kendo stick shots by Devon. My God, just no more, <laughs> please. Uh, BG, he's doing his like dancing punches. But just before he gets the final punch in, Devon just decks him with a kendo stick. 
That was great. Uh, the 3D.2, the back suplex into a neckbreaker onto Kip. They fight into the LAX steel and they get beat down by LAX. They actually do play a bit of the changes going forward, uh, but they're actually going on a bit of a like a worker's strike where they feel like they have been abused and they're actually combining some of the whole uh, real life scenario during the deal, uh, real life deal with, you know, border patrol with them kind of put it, uh, they kind of combine that into this deal. So that's what their story is kind of like. But like I said, once I get later in the show, I'll explain a little bit more that that is not going to be the case that much further. Uh, Kip does a hip toss onto the guardrail onto chair. Oh, jeez, Louise. He uh, so Brother Ray sets up this wedge where he well he sets up this kind of like makeshift table where it's chairs and there's a guardrail holding on top of those chairs. He hip tosses Kip James onto that. That was rough. Let's see. There's a lot of fighting into the crowd. There's a lot of fighting in the crowd in this entire event. Not going to lie. BJ James gets thrown into a fan's chair because fan interaction is great. And Kip James introduces some trash can lids for the fighting. Ray chokes Kip James with a bra. Oh, my God. I thought that was funny. Uh, Slices Kip James' head with a cheese grater. That is something that is a Brother Ray repertoire for quite a while, honestly. Uh, BG hits Ray with the lid, and Devon and BG knock each other out with the lids. Team 3D go for the what's up. Devon comes down, but Kip James, not Kip James, uh, BG James kind of saves himself with the trash can lid, I guess. But it really doesn't matter because then the trash can lid gets put on his crotch, and then Brother Ray takes a golf club and just bashes that trash can, bashes BG's nuts. Uh, let's see here. Kip James hits a Famouser onto the trash can onto Ray. We get a Doomsday device onto Kip. Uh, they set up a 3D and a table, but BG gets knocked out of the ring. Uh, Kip James, he goes for the one and only on Devon, but that gets countered. We get the 3D through the table and... Team 3D pick up the victory here at the Bingo Hall Brawl. I gave this matchup a B. I thought this was a better matchup than their match at Sacrifice. And it was a matchup that I think should have happened first because this match and this rivalry was at the point where it got to be really personal. I mean, literally, last show, the James Gang introduced the pipe that Team 3D introduced years earlier. Now it's just a situation where it's like they just need to beat the hell out of each other. And that worked out perfectly. That made the matchup even better. It was great. After the matchup, though, Brother Ray, he gets on the microphone and he said, that's how it's done. No doubt that was a shot to WWE ECW saying that is how you do hardcore wrestling. Honestly, there's a lot of WWE ECW references that are made within like the next month at least and actually funny enough i'm going to talk about that after i talk about this next matchup here but go backstage 
JB is talking to Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett's basically saying, it's do or die. He's excelled in every single way. He mentions uh, Joe Montana, Reggie Jackson, and Michael Jordan. He kind of compares them to him. And then he talks about the other competitors in the King of the Mountain matchups, saying he's going to win. Larry Zabisco, he runs up to Jeff, and he says, you know that guy that we thought was going to be the face of TNA? Well, when I was out... And I looked inside the limousine on this past impact. I saw who it was. And unfortunately, it is who you thought it was. And Jeff just states that he is literally going to clean up Larry's mess. That's about it. And we get to find out who the new face of TNA management is a little later on in the night. But we go into the next matchup, which is Team Canada's Bobby Roode and Coach Demore taking on Rhino in a handicap match. Literally, the feud is Team Canada getting into Rhino's business quite a bit. And it also cost Rhino a chance to be in the King of the Mountain matchup when he fought Abyss to qualify for the match. Abyss qualifies, he wins, and then Rhino says he went to Larry Zabisco and he said, I told them that I want a match at Slammiversary against Team Canada. And it's a handicap match. So it's going to be me versus Bobby Roode and any member of Team Canada that I choose. Coach Demore's thinking, well, obviously it's going to be like Eric Young or it's going to be Petey Williams. It's going to be A1. What? It's going to be, you know, everybody else. But obviously they build it up right to where it says, it says, you know, it's Rhino versus Roode and Coach Demore. And then we get some of the most entertaining shit that you will see with Coach Demore. He's trying to lose a little bit of weight. He's trying to look better. He's wearing like this sweatsuit. And he's got like, you know, these little snacks like Twinkies and Ho-Hos. And I think he had like a snowball or something like that. And Rouge just literally smacking it out of his hand. Demore is, you know, crying because he's losing his stuff. But he's also trying to look like he's actually losing a little bit of weight to prepare for this matchup here. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, Coach Demore actually looks decent in this match. Okay. Um, we get the introductions. Team Canada comes out first, and Coach Demore says, Rhino, I see through you. You made this a handicap match because you knew that you couldn't take me on one-on-one. You were afraid that you were going to get your ass handed to you. He reassures Bobby Roode, you know, stay in the corner. I'm going to take out Rhino, and it is going to be an absolutely amazing win for Team Canada. Rhino's music hits. He comes out. He runs to the ring. Coach Demore is already running out, running for the hills. Bobby, He attacks Bobby Roode, and we get the matchup right there. Rhino hits a spagingo to Bobby Roode, and we see him... Tag out to Coach Demore. Coach Demore's like, okay, I got this, I got this. Does a little bit of like, you know, fake punches. Then he does a deal where he leaps up and touches his toes. And then he tags out. What the shit? <laughs> this was amazing. I was literally like, what? Okay. Coach Demore is being very entertaining in this matchup. He might be the highlight of this entire deal. Uh, we get some back and forth between Bobby Roode and... Uh, Rhino, Rude, he, oh my gosh, this was another great moment. So Rhino tosses Rude into the cor- corner turnbuckle. And a lot of people might know that some people do this deal where 
when somebody charges into the turnbuckle, they kind of leap up and then uh, fly back. So Rude does this, and he realizes that Rhino did not charge into the turnbuckle. So literally, he sees no one in front of him, and you just hear him go, shit! He turns around, Rhino decks him. <laughs> it was great. Uh, we see Demore doing some... Oh, wait, hold on. Demore tags himself in accidentally. I thought that was funny. Um, he gets pulled into the ring by Rhino. He's running away. Rhino's chasing him, and Rude cu- cuts him off. Demore's doing like these jumping jacks. He grabs Rhino. Uh, Rude does like a stunner-like move to him anytime that Rhino tries to get an advantage. They beat down on Rhino. Rhino, he eats a jawbreaker from Coach Demore, and he kind of sells it, but then he's like, you son of a bitch. So he grabs <laughs> Coach Demore, sets him up for the Rhino driver, but Rude stops him. We get a suplex to Rhino by Rude. Demore hits a leg drop and an elbow drop. My God. <laughs> This is amazing. We see uh, belly to belly to Rude by Rhino. Rude hits a neck breaker. Coach Demore is thinking, I got this, I got this. He rips his shirt off and he's wearing like a singlet. So he goes up to the top rope, goes for the moonsault. There's nobody in the pool. So he misses immensely. Uh, Rude dives, but he eats a punch to the gut. And gets thrown, and then he uh, allows uh, the referee to get distracted. Rhino, he eats a hockey stick from Coach Demore, and Coach Demore goes for the Demoralizer, which is kind of like a Samoan, Samoan, uh, oh gosh, what are they called? Samoan driver, there we go. Um, but Rhino's able to counter. He hits a spine buster. He throws Rude out. Hits a gore to Coach Demore for the win. That's it. It's over. I give this one another B. And it's mainly because of the fact that it's more of a nostalgic deal. I love a lot of the stuff that Co- Coach Demore was one of the best things of this entire deal. Um, Rude, he brought in the wrestling. Rhino was the great foil to the you know evildoers doing their thing, blah, blah, blah. But... Rhino gets his revenge on Coach Demore and on Team Canada. It's great. So, now I want to talk a little bit about Rhino. Bear with me for a moment. Rhino, a few weeks later, he comes out on TNA, and he has a bag in his hand. In that bag is a championship belt. And that belt is the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. He goes out and publicly talks about how Vince McMahon offered him a job to work for ECW. And obviously the main reason is because he's the final ECW champion. And Rhino literally said, I told Vince McMahon he can kiss my ass because I don't want his job. He takes the belt, takes it outside, throws it in a trash can, sets it on fire, and he challenges everybody to come and fight him, basically. So, literally, this is another situation where TNA is basically saying, fuck WWE, you guys suck, we're better, and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of one of those things where AEW uh, abused it, too, but I think TNA still takes the cake when it comes to a lot of stuff, because there is a lot of stuff where they just, 
literally say, oh, well, Vince McMahon tried to contact me, and I told him he can kiss my ass because I love working for TNA. And then a few years later, obviously, they go working for WWE. Uh, so there's a lot of that there. But that was the main thing I wanted to talk about with Rhino. Uh, yeah, no, we're just going to move on. So we have JB backstage. He's talking to Samoa Joe. And basically, Samoa Joe says, you know, I've never faced anybody like Scott, but Scott has never faced anybody like him. He knows that Scott Steiner has a you know temper. He wants to be the one to spark the fuse at Steiner and that he's going to end Scott's streak tonight. Because Scott Steiner is supposedly undefeated. And Scott Steiner wants to end his undefeated streak. So Samoa Joe kind of wants to do the same thing. All right, we go into the next matchup, which is an elimination rankings match for the X Division, which we have Sanjay Dunt, Alex Shelley, Shark Boy, Senshi, Petey Williams, and Jay Lethal all facing off against each other. Normally, with some of these matches, I've mentioned them in the past, like a Fatal 4-Way match or like a 6-Way matchup. I've hated the whole deal where they just have multi-man matches with singles competitors and they have to do like the tag out kind of deal. This was one of the few times where either I am numb to it at this point or I actually accepted it and I thought this is actually kind of okay that they did this. Obviously, WWE did something like this in 2004 when they had the multi-man match for the U.S. title. That's how Booker T became the United States champion kind of deal. So I will say that this matchup was done better, in my opinion. But basically, as you kind of imagined, it's a rankings matchup. The winner is going to be like the number one contender, and the runner-up is going to be number two, number three. This is kind of one of those few times where they don't necessarily bring up I think that it was to their benefit that they didn't do something like that, where they had like a ranking system like AEW has. So I think this was one of those things where it's like, you know, out of these six guys, this person's going to get the first shot. This person could maybe get the second shot and blah, 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 that kind of deal. So that's essentially what it was. Uh, like I mentioned, they have tags. I'm accepting of it. Shark Boy, he hits a drop kick and an arm drag to Petey Williams. A spooking gold back body drop. Ah, oh, man, Shark Boy, I love you. Petey Williams, he goes for the O Canada, but unfortunately, Shark Boy is able to get out of the tree of O and bite the butt of Petey Williams. Hits a plancha onto Petey. Shark and Lethal do a heart attack with a high kick to Petey Williams. That was great. Lethal, he hits a one-armed backbreaker onto Petey Williams. I was impressed by that. Senshi is able to get some uh, yes kicks in. We get a chop off between the two of them. Lethal with a drop kick, a flapjack, double knee strike, a double strike, I should say, by Senshi, a necktie by Shelly to Lethal. Lethal, he does a... uh, Lethal does the all hip toss and cartwheel dropkick, which I absolutely love. Sanjay Dunn hitting a hurricane rana to Shelly, rolling senton onto the onto the back, and then a standing somersault to Shelly. My God, just wow! Um, 
He goes for the sprinkler onto Shelly, but he gets crotched, and, and he basically gets rubbed onto the ropes. So literally, he's just dragged onto the ropes there. That just... Ooh, that looked brutal. We get a lion salt by Shelly. Absolutely great. Then we get this unique spot here. Um, how Mike Tanay called it, he calls it a six-pack suplex. So... How it looks is that they had uh, one person going for a suplex, then one person adds on. Oh, it looks like they're, they're going to double team him, but then another person adds on, and it's kind of one of those things where it looked felt like a pu- like a puzzle piece kind of deal. Basically, in the end, you have three people suplexing three people at the same time in a triple suplex deal. It looked great. I actually really loved that spot. Sharky hits a knee face buster to Sanjay and then a plancha to the inside. Sanjay counters the uh, deep sea drop, but he el- but he eats a neck breaker for his troubles. Shark boy, he goes to the top rope. He goes for an elbow, misses it. Sanjay hits a shooting star, standing shooting star press to eliminate Shark boy from the matchup. Sanjay and Shelly, they have a nice back and forth between the two of them. Shelly. Hits a backstabber from the corner. Lethal with a springboard dropkick. Shelly hits a dropkick from the cor- to the corner. We get a top rope senton by Shelly. Lethal is able to find a way to hit the dra- a release dragon suplex to Shelly. And Shelly is eliminated with the 1-2-3. Petey Williams with a diving Hurricane Rana to Senshi. Absolutely love that. Right to the outside. Lethal hits a suicide dive to P.D. Williams. Sanjay Dunt hitting a moonsault to everybody on the outside. Lethal with a flip kick to P.D. Williams. He goes for a diving headbutt, but P.D. Williams catches him with the Canadian Destroyer and eliminates Jay Lethal. So we are down to the final three, which is Sanjay Dunt, P.D. Williams, and Senshi. We see... Uh, Sanjay eating some chops and a leg drop from P.D. Williams and Senshi. Senshi hits a reverse face buster to Dunt. A Salido del Sol to P.D. Williams. And this allows Senshi to hit the Warrior's Way double foot stomp for the elimination. So it's now done between Dunt and Senshi. We get a top row pork and ride to Senshi by Dunt. The pizza DDT to Senshi. Senshi counters a roll-up with a stomp. Knee face buster followed by a jumping neck breaker. Uh, we see him miss a four... Uh, Dunt missed a 450 splash. And Senshi hits a shotgun dropkick to Dunt. Puts him up in a tree of woe. And then he hits the Warrior's Way double foot stomp to Dunt for the win. Senshi is the number one contender for the X Division Championship. I gave this matchup a B. I really, really enjoyed a lot of the stuff that happened in this matchup. I really think that the chemistry between everybody really shone. Uh, There were a couple spots where I think that maybe they could have gone a little bit further, but I mean, in a match that's almost about 20 minutes, maybe this one's actually an A, one of the better matches of the night. But Ultimately, in the end, Senshi really evolved 
from being this low-key character in Triple X to now being somebody of his own. And I will say this, that before we had uh, Finn Balor doing, you know, the shotgun dropkick and double foot stomp, Senshi was the one that was making it cool. And honestly, he did it just as aggressively, if not more aggressively than Finn Balor. So we go into the next backstage deal, which is JB talking to Kevin Nash and Alex Shelley. Shelley made this deal where it was like, there's so many guys coming at you. Everybody's double teaming, blah, 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 blah. It's, it feels like Kevin Nash's influence is rubbing on Shelley. You definitely can feel, you can definitely can see that. He, uh, Kevin Nash says that he's a seven foot juggernaut and he has a message to Walt Saban, Chris Saban's father, that he is going to wreck his kid. And one of the reasons why he made that mention is because on this day, it's Father's Day at this point. So there's a lot of Father's Day references in the show here. This is one of the few times where they basically said, hey, happy Father's Day, dude. I'm going to beat your kid up so bad that he's not going to be able to walk again. That's essentially what we're getting here. All right. So now we go into the next matchup, which is Chris Saban versus Kevin Nash. So the buildup for this story is interesting because they had a lot of these backstage videos with Kevin Nash and Alex Shelley, you know, paparazzi production in which Kevin Nash was just burying the X division. And he says that he's going to destroy the X division. Then a sacrifice, he came in and he made the claim that a mediocre big man will drop an X division superstar every night of the week. Kevin Nash just beating up X-Division guys, including Chris Saban, who defeated Petey Williams to win the World X-Cup. He beat down Chris Saban, broke the trophy, literally stating, hey, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm going to destroy the X-Division piece by piece. Chris Saban finally able to get some of his momentum back, basically saying, hey, why don't you and I tango at Slammiversary? And I will show you that even though you say size matters, I'm going to show you once and for all that size doesn't matter. So Kevin Nash then does this deal where he had like this plan where he's like, okay, I got Saban locked in for Slammiversary. It's going to be good because I am ready. I'm going to be ready for him. They had this plan of, you know, scouting Saban, make sure that we're looking at, you know, Chris Saban uh, matches, scouting him, making sure everything was going to do it. And they're finding like these weaknesses, stuff like that. And then Kevin Nash decides to be a dick because that is what Kevin Nash back in the day was. He says, okay, so I want you to do me a favor. I want you to find somebody who looks like Saban, wrestles like Saban, who is almost like exactly like Chris Saban, like a clone. And I'm going to have him in a you know pre-exhibition match before Slammiversary. So we're thinking, okay, it must be like an X Division guy or something like that. Not exactly. It's a little person, and he's like in red and black. He's got this little X on his forehead. He's, I think he was like dubbed Mr. X, if I'm not mistaken. And Kevin Nash is making these jokes like, You can't hide me, son. I know that's you, Chris Saban. And I know that you are too scared to fight, fight me. He does like, he does the kind of moves that you would expect him to do. He's on his knees. He does a choke slam to Mr. X. He actually sits in a chair and hits a boot, 
onto Mr. X, and then he hits a massive shoulder jackknife powerbomb, beats Mr. X, all in the buildup to the matchup with Chris Saban. So obviously, Kevin Nash doesn't give a shit about the X Division. He really doesn't. So he wants to basically destroy it, and he believes that going through Chris Saban is going to be a huge, huge way to do that. So these two guys exchange strikes. A high drop kick knocks down Kevin Nash, and he's thinking like, okay, this is not what I was expecting. Shelly exposes the turnbuckle, and we're thinking that Nash is going to throw Saban into it, but nope, Saban throws Nash into it. Instead, Shelly distracts, and this allows Kevin Nash to hit a big boot. A sidewalk slam. Hits a backbreaker with a wrench. Some corner knees. A second big boot. Chris Saban counters the jackknife powerbomb. Tries to get Nash up for the cradle shock. He gets so close, but Shelly stops him by grabbing Nash's foot while the referee is distracted. He gets a suicide dive to Shelly. A flying clothesline to Nash. A diving leg drop. And we see... Him try to go for one more big move, but Shelly crotches Saban onto the exposed turnbuckle. Kevin Nash hitting a jackknife powerbomb for the win. Kevin Nash, seemingly his plan is going in the right direction. This was a C matchup. This was a matchup that really, I think, kind of showcased that Nash was slowly starting to slow down just a little bit. But also, this was one of those things where it was more just, you know, I I think that if they would have just, you know, built up the fact that, you know, Kevin Nash was a bigger guy that they're going to have to take down, it probably would have been a more believable story. But that's not exactly what happened. So this was kind of a really mixed feeling kind of matchup. Honestly, this was probably my least favorite matchup of the night. It really was one of those matches where I was just kind of like, uh, I'm kind of wondering when this match is going to be over. <laughs> I mean, shortest matchup on here other than the pre-show of 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Jeez Louise. All right. So we go into another backstage deal where Wildcat Chris Harris, James Storm, and Gail Kim, they're ready for their match against AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels. For the NWA World Tag Team titles, Harris claims that the experiment with AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels being a team, that has failed. And they believe that they're going to be walking out still tag team champions. Gail Kim is not so worried about the neutralizer. And Storm is just happy and confident that they are going to win. Literally stating, sorry about your damn luck, boys. Are you ready for some tag team wrestling? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is what's next. It's the last chance for AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels as they challenge America's Most Wanted for the NWA World Tag Team titles. Obviously, the buildup for this story is that AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, they believe as opponents, they were great, but imagine what they could do side by side. But they also believe that America's Most Wanted grasp on the NWA World Tag Team titles has been long overdue, and they need to just end that. They've had a couple of chances, which they've lost, all in part, all in part to Gail Kim's involvement. Larry Zabisco is saying, there's no way that I can allow you guys to get another shot. And AJ Styles is like, you know, you give us this shot at Slammiversary, don't worry. 
it will be our last shot because we are going to ensure that Gail Kim is not going to be, you know, a bit, you know, be a handful. In fact, we have a neutralizer for Gail Kim. So Larry just says, okay, it's your last chance. Best of luck. And that is how we get to this matchup here. So we have a great back and forth by Styles and Storm, which ends with AJ Styles hitting another beautiful dropkick. My God, this is just great. Harrison, Daniels, they essentially do the same thing, but instead of a dropkick, we see Daniels hitting his like leg kick to the head. We see America's Most Wanted. Oh, geez, Louise. Um, have a nice Brokeback Mountain moment in which we have Chris Harris. He's on the ground. Christopher Daniels does a drop toe hold to James Storm. Boom. Storm lands on Harris. And nice uh, 619 minus the one, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> that was the thing. We see Storm get thrown out of the ring. He tries to skin the cat where he throws out his opponent, but Chris Harris gets thrown into James Storm, and he gets thrown out of the ring. We get a nice swanton dive on the outside by AJ Styles. Christopher Daniels hits a slingshot elbow to Storm. Storm hits a... Oh, this is a very unique move. So we see Harrison Storm do this kind of deal where... Storm, where Harrison's on the ground, he kicks Daniels into Storm, and Storm has his knees up into a back break, into like a double knee to the back, and then Storm grabs Daniels, does a bulldog, and bulldogs him into Chris Harris's knees. That was innovative, and it was interesting. It was new. So, Styles does a baseball slide under Chris Harris, uh, taking him out for a little bit, but then Harris does a low bridge to him, and they brawl on the outside. Gail Kim, she gets involved with uh, Storm and Daniels. AJ Styles, he does a leap over the rail, and then he tries to come back, but Storm throws him right into the rail rails that he leaped over. We get the world's greatest leapfrog by America's Most Wanted. Very nice tag team move there. Uh, nice roundhouse kick by Storm to AJ Styles. I never thought I would see James Storm do a roundhouse kick. Of all people. A delayed vertical suplex by Chris Harris. Eye of the Storm is countered by AJ Styles, and then Storm prevents a tag. And he hits this unique butterfly-like slam. So he kind of picks him up into like a butterfly suplex, but then he twists him uh, coming down. So it was a unique variation of it. Uh AJ's able to hit the Pele on Storm. Daniels, he comes in like a house of fire. We see an Asai Moonsault, a Blue Thunderbomb. Gail Kim, she tries to get involved in this matchup, but AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, they bring in their neutralizer. Some people know her as uh, Jamie Dauncey. She was the Gut Check Challenge winner back in 2004. Now she's making her big pay-per-view debut as Serelda. So she comes in and she chokeslams Gail Kim, carries her out of the ring. So now it's a fair 
tag team matchup between these two teams. America's Most Wanted, they go for a double team move, but AJ Styles stops them. We get a roll up on Daniels, and then a roll up by Daniels. There we go. And then he gets thrown into the ropes. Storm hits him in the head with a chair. One, two, near three, three count. AJ Styles, he hits a phenomenal forearm. The inverted uh, springboard, inverted reverse DDT. He looks to go for a spiral spiral tap. I could speak English, but unfortunately he misses. It looks like AJ Styles is going to get hit with the death sentence, but Daniels stops him, hits the Death Valley driver. AJ Styles hits a somersault senton. Daniels is about to get hit with the last call by uh, Storm, but while the referee's not looking, hits him with a low blow. Angels wings to Storm. Harris, he hits the referee inadvertently. Storm goes for a beer bottle shot, but hits Harris inadvertently. They take out Storm. A urinagi to Harris. Frog splash. Best moonsault ever. One, two, three. Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles have won the NWA World Tag Team Championships. In their last chance, they made a count. And they are victorious. Solid A matchup. This matchup had everything that you guys could possibly imagine. From the start to the finish. It was a kind of go, go, go kind of feel. But everything flowed really well. You had moments where the challengers looked like they weren't going to win. You had moments where the champions were just about to lose the tag team titles. The great equalizer of Sorelda taking out Gail Kim. It worked. It made sense. So, this matchup was absolutely great. It was absolutely insane. Just match of the night. This was great. So, yeah. No, and it's going to be a very interesting deal going into the future of the NWA World Tag Team titles, which I will talk about a little later on. We get a backstage segment with Sting, where he, like I said before, is all about two things keeping Jeff Jarrett away from the NWA world title and winning the title if absolutely necessary. That's literally all it is. Then they have a hype package where they talk about, you know, where they show highlights of TNA in the four-year history. I've already been covering a lot of what's been happening in the last few years. So this highlight video is great, but I don't need to go into too many details about that. You literally could post that. You could literally find it on YouTube. It'd be fine. But this does transition into a huge moment for TNA because they reveal who is the face of TNA management. Mike Tanay mentions the fact that he was a manager. He has run his own wrestling promotion twice. And... Ladies and gentlemen, despite the fact that he had knee surgery done, he wanted to be at the show. It is none other than James E. Cornette. Jim Cornette makes his debut in TNA. And honestly, guys, this was quite the interesting debut because this guy literally has knee surgery. He comes in and he's coming in with a cane. He's doing like a little... I guess you could say, ah, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of what his name was. Uh, 
I can't remember who it was, but he just kind of swings his cane around to the point where his cane just flies out and gets somebody in the eye. No, no, I'm kidding. It, it, it basically, the cane's gone. So Jim Cornette is just thinking to myself, ah, son of a bitch, I got to walk down to the ring with a bum knee. And you could tell that he's in a lot of pain, but it's kind of one of those things where I admire the fact that this is a dude who is that passionate about wrestling that even with a bad leg, he's still able to come down and look like he really cares about this business. It just, it's great. So Jim Cornette, he mentions the fact that he was a big fan of the tag team match, throws down that there's been a lot of issues, a lot of favoritism, a lot of backstage deals that just absolutely does not, you know, he know, he knows the problems and he knows that he's there to basically fix that. There's even a point where they show Larry Zabisco watching backstage. Oh, Larry, if only you knew what was in your future. He mentions that he is not politically correct. And when I heard that line, I'm like, oh, NWA will definitely agree with you on that, my good sir. (laughs) But he basically, he knows what he's doing. He has people, he wants to know who's going to step up and who's literally going to be here for the long haul and who's going to be here just because they care about the money. So uh, has people he he know will step up and hit home runs and others need to step up or step off. That's what he said. He said that there are three goals that he has. He needs people to put on great matches, sell pay-per-view and draw ratings. He knows that he's going to stick around longer than most of the people that think that they're, not going to reach it. Because what he says is that if you are doing at least one of those things, you are fine by me. But if you're not, you're not going to stick around here long enough, enough before me. So with that being said, he says, enjoy the show. Oh, Jim Cornette. This this is where things get to be really, really good. So uh, this is a turning point because now they actually have a bit of a more established authoritative figure, I would say. And as time goes on, you'll definitely see how much impact Jim Cornette does have on the presence of TNA, especially as a as a you know face of management. I think that Jim Cornette does an absolutely amazing job with that. And yeah, no, there's no uh, mention of fried chicken or you know what? I'm not even going to talk about it. So we go backstage. JB's talking to Scott Steiner. Steiner is just trashing the Samoa Joe. DVD basically saying it's a bunch of crap. Uh, calls Samoa Joe Sloppy Joe. He does a lot of like redneck fat comments. Like he says, all these fat redneck out here, they're just going to be cheering for Samoa Joe. They got their little fat fingers on their DVDs. It just, oh my God. Just look up, just look up Scott Steiner promos in TNA and you're going to know that you are going to hit a gold mine of Scott Steiner. It's one of those things. It's amazing where this promo ends with him talking about, he's going to end the winning streak, but he's also going to kill Samoa Joe. We go into the next matchup, which is Scott Steiner versus Samoa Joe. And I'll be honest with you guys. I love this hype video. It is literally showcasing Samoa Joe and Scott Steiner, but the music is set very well. And literally, you have Samoa Joe and Scott Snyder just trading barbs with each other. 
in this promo deal. Like Samoa Joe's saying, you know, who are you, Scott? Who are you in my world? Scott Steiner is saying, like, you know what? I've beaten the best of there is. I've beaten Kevin Nash, Sting. I've beaten Triple H. I've beaten Paul White. And he, he makes this one comment I thought was kind of funny where he's like, you, you see that on my muscle? That's a vein. Something you don't got, you fat bastard. Samoa Joe talk about how he has been undefeated for almost a year and that he is looking to continue that at the expense of Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner's like, that's what I think about your undefeated streak. Where'd you earn that undefeated streak? In the X division? So it is literally one of those things where it's like, can Samoa Joe continue to hang with the big boys? This is basically his, you know, his his match where he's going to have to show the case that he can. And Scott Steiner is literally not going to lie down at all for Samoa Joe. He's literally just going to be like, Samoa Joe, I'm literally going to beat the piss out of you. And I am going to enjoy every single minute of it, especially when I take away that one precious thing that you have, and that's your undefeated streak. Your precious little undefeated streak. So we go into it. Scott Steiner takes down Samoa Joe early. Not once, but twice. Holy shit. <laughs> that just took me completely by surprise. Um, he's tossing him, and they does a nice paintbrush to Samoa Joe. My God, I'm l- looking at this matchup like, freaking Joe is making Scott Steiner look like a million bucks at this point. We see Joe spit in the face of Scott Steiner. We get a, like a Japan strike. A Japan style brawl between these two guys where they're just punching each other, punching each other, just going absolutely insane. Uh, Joe kicks Scott Steiner in the face. He does a chop, he does a snapmare, chop, kick, and then a knee drop to Scott Steiner. The fans are into this, they are completely invested in this matchup. As soon as Samoa Joe hit that knee drop, the fans just erupted like, yeah, yeah, Samoa Joe, sweet, holy shit. But that that gets overtaken by Scott Steiner hitting an overhead belly-to-belly suplex on Samoa Joe. My God, that was just insane. Scott Steiner gets a couple boots in, a couple chops. Joe, he goes for a face wash, but Scott rolls out of it. Samoa Joe hits a suicide dive to Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner, he does his classic uh, clothesline, elbow drop, and then push-up deal. Another belly-to-belly by Scott Steiner. He hits Samoa Joe with a powerbomb. Looks like he's going to go for a cover, but Samoa Joe tries to go for like this um, almost like triangle choke style deal on him. Uh, But... Steiner's able to get out of it. He gets into a corner. And then he hits Samoa Joe with his own corner Yoranagi. And I was literally like, what the shit? Are you kidding me? That was insane. These two guys brawl into the ringside area. They're fighting around. Scott Steiner uses a chair on Samoa Joe. Finally, there just comes a point where referee Rudy Childs says, you guys need to get in the ring. Otherwise, I'm counting you both out and it's a draw. So Scott Steiner beats down Joe a little bit more. He gets in the ring. He's thinking, I got this. Either way, it's a win for me. Samoa Joe gets it at the count of nine and comes in, hits an inverted atomic drop, boot, senton, and then a corner Uranagi to build up. 
Uh, we see him hit a back suplex bomb. I was not expecting that. Samoa Joe pulling out all the stops here. We see him and Scott Steiner trade some clotheslines. A uh, couple points where they're you know just trying to clothesline each other, but they're not backing down. It's great. Samoa Joe locks in the Coquina clutch. Scott Steiner is able to get out of it from the corner, and then he also hits a low blow on Samoa Joe. Then we get possibly a... Oh, God, this was scary. So Scott Steiner picks up Joe and hits him with a half-and-half suplex, and Samoa Joe literally looks like he lands on his head. It was a brutal spot. Scott Steiner then locks in the Steiner recliner, and you think that's going to be it. Samoa Joe makes it just before that third hand going down. He reverses uh, Scott Steiner, picks him up into the electric chair. He throws him into the ropes. Scott Steiner goes off the ropes. Snap power slam onto Scott Steiner for the one, two, three. Samoa Joe, 365 days, continues his undefeated streak. A quality matchup. Between this matchup and the tag team title matchup, these two are neck and neck for match of the night. I mean, seriously, one of the best matches that I've seen Scott Steiner in. It's amazing seeing how these two literally work off of each other, the chemistry that they have. It's absolutely insane. It is absolutely insane. It was great. We have a victory road hype video, Christian cage. Basically he's talking about how he's going to be the first man to walk out of King of the mountain Still, world heavyweight champion, because that's how he rolls. Uh, the actual buildup for this matchup was kind of underwhelming, so we'll kind of go into a little bit of the everything that went into this matchup. So, they announced King of the Mountain. Christian Cage is obviously in it because he's the NWA world heavyweight champion, but you need to have four competitors. As I mentioned before, Abyss defeated Rhino to qualify, so... That puts in one spot. We had Monty Brown versus Ron Killings. Ron Killings beats Monty Brown. We have our second spot filled in. Jeff Jarrett versus Raven. Raven gets screwed out of his shot. And Jeff Jarrett picks up the win over him. Third spot's filled. Final spot between Scott Steiner and Sting. Scott Steiner losing via disqualification. Sting is the final entrant into this. As I mentioned before, a lot of these men are going after the NWA World Heavyweight title. Sting is one where he has kind of his own plan and his own kind of deal going into this matchup. He wants to make sure, above all else, Jeff Jarrett does not walk out as NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Does he do that? Well, we're about to find out right now. It's the King of the Mountain matchup. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not familiar with this match concept, it is really complicated. So... The point of the match is to hang the title above the ring. It's a reverse ladder match, essentially. However, you cannot just simply go up a ladder and put the belt up. You have to qualify. Once you have qualified, you can then go up the ladder and put the belt up. The person who was either pinned or made to submit, they have to spend two minutes in a shark cage penalty box. Once they have served their time, they can leave the cage. person who gets the title belts hung up first is the winner. Oh, 
yeah, it, it, it can be that, that complicated. Uh, Truth, he hits a combo onto Jeff Jarrett early where he just backflips, splits, kick to the face. Then a lie detector by Truth. Cage and Truth do a double hip toss to Jeff Jarrett. Stay, uh, not Sting. Actually, Sting and Abyss are kind of fighting each other as this is going on. And Cage kind of dances with Truth. And it seems like those two are on the same page until Truth hits him with a super kick. Cage does a dive onto Jeff. Truth, he hits an axe kick to Abyss. He dives onto everybody. Sting then goes off the top of the cage and dives onto everyone. Hits a stinger splash to Jeff Jarrett inside the ring. Missile drop kick by Truth to pin Jeff Jarrett, throwing him in the cage and also to qualify. Oh, one more thing I forgot to mention is that falls count anywhere, so kind of important to keep that in mind. Cage does a catapult to the ladder that hits Truth's face. A roll-up by Christian Cage to pin Abyss. So Cage has now qualified, and Abyss is going into the box. Jeff sandwiches Cage into the ladder, and then he stands on it. That was... That, that sucks. That just sucks, literally. Sting is just taking it to our truth That's really all I have for the notes for that. Uh, we get some tables stacked up at ringside. Sting does a cactus clothesline to Abyss, sending them both outside. Truth is able to hit a reverse STO to Jeff Jarrett, but Jeff Jarrett is able to hit a stroke from the apron onto the rail uh, to Truth. Pins Truth on the outside. Jeff Jarrett has now qualified. So for those of you who are keeping track at home, Truth, Jarrett, and Cage have now qualified, and they can go up the ladder and hang the belt up. Cage and... Jeff Jarrett, they're fighting off into the crowd. Sting cracks Abyss with a chair. Sting and Abyss, they whip each other into a wall that is on the outside. Uh, they broke the they broke the wall multiple times. Truth, he gets thrown off of the ladder, not once, but twice. Jeez Louise. Abyss and Jeff Jarrett, they do a ladder clothesline to everybody. Truth jumps onto the ladder, but then he gets dumped to the outside. Cage and Sting, they do a dropkick to the ladder to knock down Abyss and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Cage sandwiches Jeff into the ladder, and he's basically trying to climb up the ladder reverse way and, and put hang the belt up, but Abyss, he stops him, and Christian Cage is able to get him and Abyss to the outside. Truth, thrown out of the ring again. Jeez Louise, poor Truth. Uh, then we see a ladder get thrown back and that knocks out Earl Hebner who is the official for this matchup I forgot to mention that and Larry Zabisco is the uh, holder of the cage and the belts it is weird Uh, but these are things to keep in mind ladies and gentlemen so Earl Hebner's knocked out we see Abyss and Jarrett they've been teaming up for a while but abyss is literally looking at jeff like dude are you trying to ensure that i don't you know win or something like that and we see (laughs) we we just hear james mitchell go abyss doomsday abyss grabs jeff jarrett hits a black hole slam on him pins jarrett 
Abyss is now qualified to hang the belt. And the person who made the count was referee Mark Sterling, who gets yelled at by Larry Zabisco, basically being like, you're not supposed to be out here. You get out of here. Earl Hebner's the thing. That's a horrible Larry Zabisco. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Sting throws Abyss off of the ladder through those stacked tables on the outside. Sting and Christian Cage, they finally come to blow where they seemed like they were okay with each other for the most part. But Sting and Christian then fight against each other. We see Sting lock in the Scorpion Death Lock to Christian. Seems like Christian's about to tap. But then something interesting happens. Jeff Jarrett is in the ring. And on the screen, you see 15 seconds remain before he can be let go of the cage. And people are kind of like, wait, how did Jeff get out of the cage? So Jeff is trying to sneak in and try to climb up the ladder and get to the deal. But Jeff gets caught with a scorpion death drop by Sting, and then he gets put into the lock. Literally, Sting throws the belt to Christian, and he's telling him, go up, go up, retain the title. Locks in the scorpion death lock onto Jeff, like I said before. Christian is just about to get to the top. When all of a sudden, Larry Zabisco comes in and low blows Christian Cage. And everybody's just like, what? Larry Zabisco, what do you do? Well, I mean, I understand that, you know, you're pals with Jeff Jarrett, but what are you thinking? Sting is thinking the same thing. He's literally just like, what are you doing, dude? Bunk, clocks Larry. Larry oversells that punch, and he is he goes to, like, the second rope, and he's just overselling that deal. It was awesome. Jeff... Goes for the stroke onto Sting, but Sting counters it into a scorpion death drop. My God, was that a beautiful counter. Covers Jeff. Referee Earl Hebner is still down. Sting grabs Earl, forces him to count the three count. So Sting has qualified. Sting is going up to the ladder. He's climbing up. Christian Cage is meeting him there. He's basically arguing with Sting, you know, it's, you know, it's my title, blah, 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 that kind of deal. But then, I mean, it's us. Here comes Earl. He's fully awake. Shoves the ladder. Sting and Christian fall down. Jeff grabs the belt. He climbs up the ladder. Hangs the title. Matches over. Jeff Jarrett is your new NWA World Heavyweight Champion. In what is dubbed as the Orlando Screwjob. And in all honesty, guys... This feels more like a screw job than Montreal. I know I'm going to get so much heat for saying that. But Earl Hebner, all he did was he rang, he rang the bell. This was all one of those things where you look at how much uh, participation Earl had in this match, and it feels more like it was a major screw job. You had Larry Zabisco, you had Earl Hebner, you had... You know, Jeff Jarrett, who is behind it all, obviously, let's face it. Um, so we have this deal where the fans are literally just throwing garbage in the ring. You see bottles and wrappers and beer cans. Everybody's just throwing stuff in the ring. They do not like the fact that Jeff Jarrett is the NWA World Heavyweight Champion again. Jeff is celebrating 
up on the rampway when Rudy Charles grabs the title belt, runs up the rampway, gives it to, you guessed it, Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette is just holding that title. He's yelling at Jeff. And the show ends with Jeff literally getting still pelted with trash, screaming, no, no. And that's where it ends. Honestly, guys, I gave this matchup a C. I was very underwhelmed with this main event. And you really look at a lot of the uh, structure in this matchup. It gets to be very complicated, but there was a lot of stuff where they felt like they had to improvise so much stuff in between. It wasn't until like the last, it felt like maybe like five minutes where they started compiling more things to this matchup. It just really felt like there was a lot of time where they could have, you know, telling the story better with Sting and Christian, or they could have done more stuff with Abyss and Ron Killings, who are just kind of placeholders in that kind of matchup. Uh, It just was one of those matches where it just felt like a cluster. Um, The match ending was definitely shocking, but I will say that it was just a huge cluster. Overall, the event was a B. This show had some really good moments throughout the entire... I mean, you look at some of the matches I mentioned, of course. The opener was really good. Second second matchup was nostalgic. Then you had a great X Division matchup. You had a little bit of a lull moment with Kevin Nash and Saban. And then it started picking up with the tag team title matchup and then Joe and Steiner. Then the main event had like some lull moment, but then the ending is what really made it stick out. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm actually going to be that crazy of a dude because we're going to be going into overtime. We need to talk about what happens with the NWA World Heavyweight title and what happens with Jim Cornette now that he is in power. So I'm going to take a little bit of time here. I'm not going to go too crazy with this because I always watch this. They have like this TNA town hall meeting that you can literally look up on YouTube. But I'm going to give you guys some of the cliff notes as to what happens with this. So they address a lot of things that happen at anniversary, but they also address a lot of things that are happening in TNA. First things first, I mentioned this earlier, the Latin American Exchange, LAX, they have been a doing a work stoppage in which they are not going to be, you know, working with everything that's going on with the border, everything like that. Jim Cornette basically tells them, well, here's the thing. A work stoppage means a check stoppage. So you either have, you have two options. You either get back in the ring or you can leave. And I understand that Jiffy Lube is still hiring. As soon as I heard that, I'm like, wow, that's damn, that's, that's a bit much, but okay. Um, next up, they mentioned Team Canada. So they mentioned everybody in Team Canada is under contract with TNA, but as individuals. So as far as he's concerned, Team Canada disbanded just like that. Obviously, Team Canada is not very for that, especially not Eric Young. He is thinking, well, well there are people going to be fired. I might be the one that's getting fired. He's freaking out a bit. Uh, 
we do have some kind of interesting resolution going into that. But I'm actually going to save that for Victory Road. So, the next thing they talk about is the World Tag Team Titles. America's Most Wanted has wanted to incite their rematch clause. And they would get that at Victory Road. Here's the thing. Is that instead of it being a regular match, it's going to be a six-person tag. It's going to be America's Most Wanted and Gail Kim versus AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Sorelda, or as Jim Cornette calls them, that big Amazon-looking woman that you found. And the tag team titles are going to be on the line. Now, we get to the we get to the main course, ladies and gentlemen. They're talking about Slammiversary and everything that happened. So, Jim Cornette calls in Earl Hebner. Larry Zabisco and Jeff Jarrett into the ring. So he talks to Earl. You know, they're kind of being a little friendly. It's just like, you know, Earl, we've known each other for like so many years and blah, blah, blah. But you command a respect as, you know, referee. The thing is, though, you got your hands dirty at Slammiversary. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to the back and send a message to everybody else that is on, you know, that's a referee send a message that because of what you did at Slammiversary, Earl Hebner, you're fired. Earl Hebner has been fired from TNA due to everything there. And he even mentions the fact that, you know, I am not going to relive Montreal again. So he then goes to Larry Zabisco and he makes a bit of a compelling deal for Larry. He says, here's the problem is that if I fire you, I have to pay you. TNA would have to literally pay you for the remainder of your contract. Now, if you fail to do any task that you are given, then you are then you can be fired and you will get no money. And Larry Zabisco is like, well, that's not going to be a problem at all. And Jim's like, oh, so you're going to do every task that you are given? Well, according to the contract, according to the contract, I know, I know, I know, I'm I'm re- I'm getting to that. So here's the thing, Larry is that the contract states that you can compete in wrestling matches. And Jim understands that Larry Zabisco and Raven don't exactly like each other very much. So, here's the solution. The two of them are going to fight at Victory Road, and the loser is going to get their head shaved in the middle of the ring. Oh boy, that's, that is how you make this feud even more interesting. Woo! So, basically, Jim says, hey, I'm giving you your options. You can either stick around, you can do, and you can deal with the fact that I'm going to make your life a living stink in hell, or you can just refuse, and you can walk. And Larry Zabisco has this really funny line of basically calling him a Pee Wee Herman-esque <laughs> dude. I'm just like, oh, gosh, this is great. And I'm going to tell you this. If you want to hear the full town hall meeting deal. I'm actually going to put that in the description in this podcast. So definitely, if you want to hear this, you know, verbatim, everything that you would hear in here, definitely check that out in the description. It is on YouTube. So that leaves the NWA World Heavyweight title and Jeff Jarrett. He, Jim Cornette says that he wants this championship to have some meaning behind it. And the problem is that 
he can't just give the title away like most people do. Like they'll give it to their neighbor or they will give it to their son-in-law. And he says, you know, I can't do, you know, I can't give the title to Christian because Christian didn't win. Sting was going to get mad and I can't give it to Sting because Christian will be mad because he didn't win anything. Now, the thing is that Jeff did win the matchup. So here's the, here's what Jim proposes is that I will give you the NWA world heavyweight title that you've quote unquote earned, but there's a catch. You are going to have to fight a winner of a huge match at Victory Road. And it's going to be a four-way matchup that is going to feature Christian Cage, Sting, Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner, and the Samoan Submission Machine Samoa Joe. A four-way matchup, and the winner will fight Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World Heavyweight title at Hard Justice. Now, here's another thing that we'll have to mention. Samoa Joe at the town hall meeting is no longer X-Division champion. Reason being is because he lost it in a three-way match. He lost the title to Senshi, and the match also featured Sanjay Dunt. And the reason why Samoa Joe lost was because, what a surprise, Scott Steiner got involved. He was very bitter about losing to Samoa Joe at Slamversary. This allowed Senshi to pin Sanjay Dunt and become the new X-Division champion. So, we have another layer that's added to the four-way match at Victory Road. Four ways to glory. Of course, Jeff Jarrett agrees to those terms. He is the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. This ends with a big brawl between Christian... Jeff, Scott, and Sting. And that is the buildup going into Victory Road. So much. Oh my gosh, so much exhibition. So much to talk about. That was a lot. Over an hour. Jeez Louise. I put in a lot to this episode. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed my talking. I wouldn't say ranting and raving, but definitely this turning point of TNA where you're definitely seeing a lot more things happening. And it's only going to get bigger and better from here. Trust me. I You only need to give me until no surrender. And I promise you, you're going to have one of the biggest announcements that you could possibly have. For those that know, in the words of Chad Gable, shoosh. For those that don't know, tune in. So... With that being said, I've been Nate the Effing Great. You've been listening to Brace for Impact. Be sure to also check out the Kings of the Rings podcast, Pretzelmania podcast, and some other great shows that we have at Power Wrestle Act Radio. I mean, you have Young Lions Perspective. You have Mance's Delight shows. Those shows are still on Wrestle Attic Radio. They're going to be older episodes, but still go and listen to them. They're absolutely wonderful. Enjoy them and find ways to support us you guys and the best way to do that is checking out our merchandise we have so many different merchandise from clothing apparel to just simple cups blankets you basically name it we got it it's absolutely insane how much stuff that we have in our merch store when king ricky told me that we had more stuff to merchandise i'm like you gotta be kidding what else could we have 
they showed me. I'm like, oh, well, I never thought of that. So definitely check that out, you guys. Check out every single one of these podcasts on every single major podcasting format that you can possibly imagine. Just look up Wrestlotic Radio. You are going to find us. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at RealFNGame. Also check out everybody at Attic underscore Wrestle where we post as much about current events for wrestling as well as talk about some great things going on in wrestling today. So thank you guys so much for listening in. I've been Nate the F and Great, representing WrestleLatic Radio, reminding you to stay positive and always make a positive impact on the wrestling community. See you guys next time. It's going to be Victory Road. And it's happening in July, which actually makes sense, I guess. And it's happening in July. Holy cow. Great American Bash and Victory Road. Why can't they be coincided in the same month? Anyway, see you guys.